Sunday Masses will resume in the Diocese of St. Petersburg beginning Pentecost. Will you need a ticket to attend? Almost three months into the closures, how is our diocese staying afloat financially? Is the pandemic associated with global warming? And the church remembers the birthday of a modern day saint. All these topics and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Bishop Parks, it's great to see you. John, good to be with you today. So, big news. Last time we met, we had the announcement of the opening of weekday masses, and now we're taking it a step further. Yeah, that is great news, isn't it? Because I know so many of our faithful have missed coming to church on Sundays, and I think they're ready to do so. We have announced that we will begin public gathering for Sunday Mass starting the weekend of Pentecost, which is May 30th and 31st. We've given permission to our pastors who are able to, to begin celebrating Mass with a congregation present now. I do want to mention that some parishes may not be able to begin that particular weekend, so I would ask our listeners to check with their local parish to make sure that they will be offering Mass publicly that weekend, and to see also if there's any changes in the schedule to accommodate the faithful that would like to come back for Mass. If a parish says, look, we're not ready, we need an extra week to prepare, do all the parishes generally need to check in with the chancellor's office? to let them know what we're doing? So what we do is we do offer our parishes the opportunity to let us know when they are beginning public masses because we can then put it on our website so that the faithful, if they're looking for a mass or are not sure if their parish is going to be open for mass, uh, can check there as a resource. And some do and some don't. So again, I I think it's probably best to go directly to your local parish, the the church that you usually attend, uh, check their website or give them a call to see what what they're doing. Many of the parishes, I would assume, would still be offering video masses. Yeah, they they will. The uh, live stream masses, we've asked that those continue if possible, because we know that not everyone is going to feel comfortable with coming back for a public gathering for mass, particularly, you know, due to age or, or maybe illness or Uh, some other health condition that you may be dealing with. In those cases, we ask actually that you not come to Mass publicly and until you feel comfortable doing so. And there's just those that are just fearful. You know, they have some anxiety about coming back into a gathering of people. So the dispensation, which has been granted from the obligation to attend Sunday Mass, that continues indefinitely. And I don't see lifting that in the foreseeable future, but certainly we would announce when that would and if it could be lifted. What's the capacity? Right now we're at 25% for weekday masses. Will that stay in place for the Sundays as well? No, uh, we've been following the guidance given by the state of Florida, and uh, they've they've actually raised it now to 50% for places of public business, restaurants, retail outlets. So Actually, churches really were never subject to those occupancy limits. We were following them at 25% for daily mass. But as long as we could have a gathering where social distancing was respected, we were not limited to a particular percentage. However, I, I think it's prudent to do so, at least kind of in a gradual or phased approach to getting back. So some of our churches, in fact, most of them will have a, a, a limited occupancy. And if you happen to go to a church and they're 
exceeded that limit, we've asked them to try to make some accommodations. So things like maybe setting up in the power center, uh, maybe having a live stream mass there or another mass uh, being set at the same time for overflow. I just ask the faithful to please be patient and understanding as we undertake coming back as a congregation. That's easier said than done. And I know that bishops, not necessarily in this one, although I'm sure you've gotten some comment, but I know bishops in other parts of the country have gotten a little flack about it, I'll say, because in our diocese, I think I heard the term, you're not being very courageous if you don't open the Mass to a, a large congregation. But in fact, you, I think it takes courage to cancel a Mass, actually, and mm-hmm. to save lives. Yeah, I think, John, you're right. You know, uh, I think it's not only courageous, but it's the right thing to do, because ultimately it's the safety of our people and our priests and ministers that we have to be concerned about. But we are going to look for ways. I I think the best way to put it is we've encouraged our pastors and our priests to maybe at least these initial few weeks to treat them like Easter or Christmas, where you would have an overflow mass or an extra mass or some other type of accommodation. I've thought about, could we set up tents outside where maybe more people could be accommodated rather than just limiting it to the church? Maybe there's an outdoor pavilion of some kind that could be used for mass or or for an additional mass. So I'm asking our our pastors and our priests to be creative so that we can allow as many uh, of the faithful to come to mass and receive the Eucharist as possible. Are you expecting a big crowd? That's, of course, an unknown. Uh, you know, when we started daily masses a couple weeks ago, we weren't sure how many were going to show up uh, the first day. I can report that everything has gone very smoothly and that uh, none of our parishes have been overrun or uh, had to turn people away who wanted to come for daily mass. So I think people will be respectful. And uh, just my own sense is that there's still some fear and anxiety which may cause people to want to stay at home and take advantage of that dispensation from the obligation to come on Sunday, and, and that's perfectly fine, and they're encouraged to do so. I mentioned at the outset getting a ticket, and I was kind of being facetious a little bit, but some parishes, I don't know about an our diocese, but have asked people to register to come just to get a count for seating. Yeah, I, I um, you know, uh, I know that some around the country have done that. I'm not aware of any in our diocese yet, although there is one I think that's considering doing that because they have a predominantly elderly population and they wouldn't want to put their people at risk if they sure. decide to come for mass. I, I have a friend of mine who's a priest up in Michigan, the Diocese of Lansing, and I know they have a reservation system, and uh, he's booked for you know for the next couple weeks actually wow. for daily masses. And I kind of joked with him, John. I, I said, "Well, what happens if somebody comes and, and slips the usher twenty dollars? Can they get in <laughs> without a reservation?" <laughs> and I was joking, of sure, course, right, you know. Right. But that is one way to try to manage the crowds that come. Uh, but we're going to trust that people are responsible and that they take personal responsibility for their for their health and the safety of others, and uh, that they'll respect the guidelines and protocols that their parish puts in place. And it's Pentecost. I know at my parish, just a reminder, you haven't been to Mass in a while. Pentecost is typically people wear red to Mass to kind of follow the liturgy. That's true. It's one of the great feasts that we celebrate throughout the church here, and it marks the end of the Easter season, so that 50-day period after Easter, after the resurrection. And it's special because we also we, we celebrate, of course, the descent of the Holy Spirit. 
you know, the gift of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit that the apostles received and that we receive today. But we also celebrate it as the birthday of the church. And it, it kind of marks that time when the church is going forth and doing what Jesus commanded us to do, which is to preach the good news and to baptize people and to teach them all that Jesus taught us. Well, you threw that out there, so I'm going to jump on that segue. It's also Spirit FM's birthday on May 26th. It is, John, and I want to wish uh, Spirit FM, I think it's your 34th 34, that's birthday right. this year, and uh, and what a gift and a blessing that Spirit FM has been to our diocese and to anyone who, who listens. I think there's even folks uh, that don't live in this diocese that oh, they're sure. able to, to listen to the station through other means, and uh, it, it just has been a great blessing to the faithful here in, in West Central Florida. Do you get feedback, but do people comment about this program and 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 some of your programs that you do? I do. I just give you one example. I was at my doctor's office recently, maybe a few weeks ago. It was after Easter, and one of the nurses who was there said, I think I heard you on the radio the other day. I was listening to Spirit <laughs> FM, and I said, she said that I she recognized my voice and, <laughs> and listened listen to the program. And uh, she says, no, I enjoy listening to that station. And, and John, I, I don't believe she's even Catholic. So, of course, we, we reach and, and serve a very diverse audience. Part of our readings for Pentecost Sunday is the example of the different countries and people coming from various lands. And I think that's what embodies the communication aspect, not only of Spirit FM, but our diocese and our call as as Catholic Christians to evangelize to all the world wherever we might be. Yeah, and it's certainly the case here in our diocese. You know, we have uh, over 400,000 Catholics in this area in the five counties of the Diocese of St. Petersburg, and we celebrate the Mass in multiple languages and even demographically in terms of age. You know, we a lot of people think that Florida is predominantly older folks, but we have a lot of young children and families in our diocese here. And uh, we as a church are called to, to reach out and to serve and to minister to them and, and lead them closer to Jesus Christ. And I think a fine example of that was going back a couple of years when we had the 50th anniversary of our diocese and the Family Faith Fest and seeing all the multicultural diversity that we have. Multicultural, and again, I, what I remember, I remember so many things about that day was just the number of people that, that enjoyed that event to celebrate our 50th, and also uh, just the number of families and, and children that were there. So it was, it was just a great day of unity here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg, and I think an appropriate way to celebrate our 50th anniversary. That leads me to my next topic. Uh, We had some generous people to help put that on, but it also cost the diocese a little bit of money. And if we were to do that today, I don't know that we could, frankly, because of the struggles from the pandemic and the effects that it's had on the diocese and specifically on many of our parishes. How are we keeping afloat? Well, we're doing the best job we can, and and I have to say that our parishioners, the faithful, have continued to be generous during this time when we haven't been able to publicly gather for Mass. So many people have been either mailing in their weekly offering or monthly or have signed up to give online. That's a great way to do it is the online giving. It is, and I I encourage uh, listeners to go to their parish's website to see if their parish offers that. I think most of ours do. But just like families and individuals that are suffering during this time, suffering financial hardship, so it is with the church, you know, with our parishes and, and with the diocese. So some of the things that we've done, we cut our diocesan budget here at the pastoral center significantly. 
I think almost $2 million as a way of trying to, to save money and to ease the burden on our parishes. And that included our staff and priests and bishop uh, taking a salary cut, like so many Americans have been asked to do during this time. So it's kind of been shared sacrifice here in the diocese. But I do want to emphasize the generosity of our people who have continued to support the church and its ministries, particularly charitable ministries during this time, which are so needed. You know, we've always heard the tradition, well, there's a separation of church and state, but we know that the church has... Uh, through HUD grants, have built projects and so forth. When the different loans came out from our government, did the diocese or individual parishes qualify for any of that kind of thing? We did. Um, churches, in fact, were encouraged, parishes and schools and our diocese were encouraged to participate in the, the PPP program, which you're referring to, and uh, organizations like Catholic Charities, which are, is so essential, you know, that they continue to operate at full strength during this time. So, yes, we have a number of parishes that did apply and other ministries and organizations throughout the diocese as a way of being able to keep our staff employed and to keep our work in ministry going. So we have taken advantage of that and are appreciative of the opportunity to do so. You mentioned schools Schools have, uh, I just drove by St. Pete Catholic a little while ago, saw a number of cars out there, and, and the teachers are, are continuing to teach, although as this year, school is generally wrapping up, but what a job that our teachers have done to come through during this pandemic and continue to educate our kids. They, they really have stepped up, and I, I would agree with you, John. I mean, it's uh, just been really, as, as everyone knows, an unprecedented time, and our teachers have had to find very creative ways of continuing to, to teach their students. And uh, they've done that. You know, I know there's been some issues, maybe uh, some hiccups along the way. But again, under the, the difficult circumstances, I think they've, they've done a great job of keeping it together. And I know they'll probably be looking forward to a little vacation this summer sure. <laughs> uh, before hopefully we come back in the fall. We know we're going to have school in the fall, whether it's going to be online or in person remains to be seen. But uh, has there been discussion about that? Well, no decision has been made uh, regarding that, but um, as you know, the situation with this virus has been so fluid and, and changing at times, hour by hour, day by day, week by week. So it's just too early to say definitively that we will be back in, in class. But certainly, I, I know that's our hope and our desire, and that's something that we're going to be working toward is to get everybody back to uh, what would be considered kind of a normal school setting. Mm-hmm. I've got to ask you this question. We're talking about the fall. You think we're going to see football? <laughs> well, you know, John, and I think our listeners know I love sports and right. particularly college football and pro football. Boy, I hope so. You know, well, I was, I was, it was curious that Notre Dame came right out of the gate and announced that they're going to have classes this fall. Which led me to believe, okay, well, maybe there might be some college football this fall. Yeah, it could be. Uh, most of the programs, I think, have said as long as their students can come back to campus, right? Uh, that's kind of a prerequisite for having sports. So we'll hope that that happens and and that, and that our college students and incoming freshmen get to enjoy that college experience of being on campus. Well, one of the things that, that struck me also is the kids that participate in sports in the spring, like baseball, softball, especially their senior year, they had an opportunity to potentially lock up scholarships to play and go on to do something great at the college level. And that was kind of taken away from them. And it'd be a shame to see that again for these juniors that will be incoming seniors this year. 
Yeah, it sure would. I, I mentioned that this past weekend when I celebrated a mass, a baccalaureate mass for the seven Catholic high schools here in our diocese. We typically would celebrate multiple masses uh, for the different high schools, but uh, this year it just seemed prudent to do one for all of our, our graduates and to pray for them. But one of the things I mentioned in my homily was the sacrifices that they've had to make in terms of First of all, not being able to be with their friends at this time and enjoy some of the traditional graduation experiences, things like things like senior trips, maybe a senior formal or prom, a more traditional graduation where they get to walk across the stage, and of course, sports, uh, afternoon sports and other activities. But I did tell them that uh, I was very proud of them because they really seem to have handled it with maturity and, and with patience and with grace. And I, and I think they, they gave us all a good example with that. You've been doing a number of things on Zoom and, and other uh, video conferencing lately, not only with the baccalaureate service, but also a recent roundtable virtual conference about the document Laudato Si, uh, which is a papal encyclical. Uh, share with our listeners a little bit about what that document is about and, and what that roundtable is. So the reason we did this uh, interfaith roundtable was because this year uh, we celebrate the fifth anniversary of the publication of this encyclical. An encyclical is basically a pastoral letter that the Pope writes on a, a subject of interest and of concern, maybe, to the faithful and, and to all people. And so five years ago on the Feast of Pentecost, which is coming up, Pope Francis issued Laudato Si, which translates into to praised be, praised be God, in other words. And it's on the environment and on our world. And kind of the main message of the document focuses on the fact that, that though we come from different countries, different cultures, different parts of the world, that really we're all connected in some way. And that the actions of one, whether it be an individual or a country, affects others. And so we have to be cognizant of that and to do our best to try to protect creation, this gift that God has given to us. One of my takeaways from it was there needs to be a balance between the individual and their needs and the greater community and the world at large. And if one gets overtakes the other, then it can be of detriment to one or the other, whether it be the world and the climate or to the individual economically, and we need to find a balance for that. Again, it's that interconnectedness, right? That we're all connected in some way, that we're not isolated, we're not islands unto ourselves, and that our actions, both positive and negative, do have effects on others. And I think it was beautiful for this gathering that it was an interfaith gathering. So not only did I participate and one of our priests, Father George Corrigan from Sacred Heart Parish in Tampa, was on the Zoom call. We had some other evangelical faith leaders and pastors from Florida who participated and uh, really were very, very supportive uh, and connected to this document from Pope Francis and to the vision of the Catholic Church on this. Also, one of the speakers was Dr. Sandra Gomp, who, from USF, an epidemiologist in uh, infectious diseases, and she was looking at a correlation between global warming, carbon particles in the air, and the connection with COVID-19. And she said it wasn't directly caused of it, but because of the way the environment works and the pollutants in the air, 
we, we start to see a rise in mutations in these various flus that come out. And I, I never really put that together until I heard that. Yeah, I, I, I found that interesting as well. But the other thing she said was that, again, there's not a, a direct correlation between the coronavirus and global warming or those types of issues. Uh, but but the fact is that because of some of the changes that we're experiencing, people have increased respiratory issues. And as we know with this virus, that one of the great threats is that people have trouble breathing and need to go on ventilators. And so again, it's kind of an indirect effect that maybe changes in the environment have had on people and that are affecting them when a virus like this hits. Uh, as we wrap up today also, Bishop, uh, we recognize the birthday of St. Pope John Paul II. And I know as I walk down to the west, through the West Wing to come to your office, I see pictures of you and him. Yeah, this is the what would have been his 100th birthday uh, this year, this past uh, May 18th, and um, I think a great man. You know, he's a saint of our church, and I had the the blessing of meeting him on numerous occasions uh, while I was studying in Rome, and uh, just always when I was in his presence, just sensed a, a holiness, but also a, a pastoral sense from him as well. You know, he was pope for well over 20 years, so he had a very long pontificate, and because of that, had a great influence on our world uh, and was able to, in many ways, kind of direct world events and influence them in a very positive way and, and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, the message, you know, be not afraid. That was something that he said often, but his writings were very uh, extent and extensive, and I think his influence was very extensive as well. I, I miss him, but uh, I'm glad he's in heaven now praying for me and interceding for me. Sure, he, and he had a great impact on vocations to the priesthood. A lot of men came through under his pontificate, and many of them credit him as the inspiration for that. Yeah, he was uh, wonderful with preaching about vocations. Um, you know, he began World Youth Day, which has inspired many men and women to uh, discern a vocation to priesthood or religious life, but also just through his example, through his selfless example of what it means to be a priest and, and to give yourself in a very unselfish and loving way. Uh, to the service of God's people through through ministry. So uh, he did it by word, but also did it by example. It seemed like he was everywhere because he traveled more than any other pope in history. But I often see, when I see our priests here in the diocese celebrating their anniversaries, many of them are pictured with him. And I'm like, how does he have time out of his day? <laughs> and if, if it's just in our diocese, imagine all the other dioceses in the world that he's gotten to meet. Yeah, isn't that incredible? I, I remember hearing one time that he was the most visible or seen human being in history. Wow. That that more people had seen him in person at you know some of these gatherings that he would have. You, you'd have millions of people there. Sure. And as you said, he traveled, I think, to over 100 countries throughout his pontificate. So he was a great pastor in being present to the people. And uh, so many of us you know, were influenced by that, and many of our priests, like myself, had the opportunity to meet him. He was always very generous with his time. Do you remember the first time you met him? I, I do. I met him, I think, on four or five different occasions, but I believe the first time I met him 
may have been with my parents, and it was a, a just a beautiful opportunity. I remember it was my mom's birthday. Oh, uh, wow, what a and, present! And I did uh, mention that to, uh, to to Saint John Paul when we met, and he gave my mom a special birthday blessing. Nice and. Uh, you know, I may have mentioned this before, but he would always give you a rosary. So after okay. you greeted him and exchanged a few words, he'd kind of give you a rosary. But the way he did it was he kind of palmed it and almost slipped it to you, like like I say, kind of like grandpa giving a, sure. their their grandchild, you know, five bucks, right. you know, on the That's way right. out the door, you That's know. Right. So, <laughs> but uh, but he was just a, a loving man, and uh, again, I think is a great intercessor for us now. Well, as we wrap up our, our time today together, let's. Uh, would you lead us in a prayer for continued vocations for our church, uh, as this is the time where we would normally see many ordinations around our country and our world? Certainly. So let us pray. God, our Father, we continue to thank you for your blessings, and particularly during this time of the pandemic, uh, for your guiding hand, for your hopeful spirit and for your healing. We also ask at this time, as some are being ordained priests and as we await the ordinations here in our diocese in August, uh, that you bless our new priests and that you inspire many more men and women to consider a vocation, either as a priest, a deacon, or a religious in our world. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.